My name is Bob. I'm alcoholic. Hi, Bob. Uh, it's great to be here tonight. And thanks for the invite. First, starting with Tori. Tori. <laughs> and then the rest of the group pitched in and said, hey, we've got a couple of live ones. So uh, let me see. My sobriety date is May 29th, 1989. And for that, I'm extremely grateful to all of you and all the members of fellowship for giving me a solution to my living problem that I had. Well, I did not know. I didn't show. I didn't come to AA because it was a beautiful day outside. I had money in the bank, and I was happily married. And 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 I came to AA because I was drinking too much. Uh, I thought everybody hated me, and I pretty much made a mess of my life. And I didn't know why I had made a mess of my life, and I didn't even know why my life was so messy. Uh, it seems like people all around me, their lives were okay, but mine was all messed up, and I just didn't know why it was. And uh, so it decided to to expose itself in a pretty drastic measure one day at work, and uh, yeah, I, I I work for the government too, also, and uh, I'm actually retired from the government now, but. Um, I worked in a crew situation, and and when I uh, kind of broke down, didn't know what to do, and just, I guess kind of tears and just shaking and everything else, uh, they they didn't know what to do with me either, so they put me in the garage, in a stall, garage stall, had me sit in a chair, and had my coworkers watch me to make sure I didn't do anything stupid. And they decided, I wanted to go to a place for crazy people, and um, somehow or another, there was no beds available. It was in the wintertime, and usually the beds were full in the wintertime in the upper Midwest, and uh, it was a tough time usually, and uh, I didn't know that. But So I ended up in a treatment center, a 21-day program, and I went there, and uh, my boss gave me a ride there and dropped me off, and I went inside and um, met with some counselor, checking somebody's checking me in, and they basically uh, tried to convince me that I was alcoholic, and they gave all these things, appearances, you know. Uh, when's the last time you did your laundry? When's the last time you showered? How many drinks do you have? And didn't answer honestly to any of them, and uh, they anyhow I ended up staying, and. 21 days later, I got out, and I got introduced to AA during while I was there. I went to a couple AA meetings, and they told me to find a meeting, and I had a, a letter from a psychiatrist that said I wasn't nuts, so I wanted to make sure I showed my boss that, and that, um, and that was about it. I went back, and they told me to hit an AA meeting. They gave me a name of some people that lived 40 miles from me. Uh, told me to give them a call, and I didn't do that. I went back to the same way of living that I did before I went into treatment. And I went to the bar at night, and I went home and sat in my trailer house by myself, and um, and I showed up for work. That was about it. And after about two weeks of that, I decided to go to a uh, an AA meeting, a local AA meeting, which was 30 miles away. And I went there, and I met the people at the AA meeting, and... When I went in, the first thing I wanted to do was tell them that my I was looking for differences, is what I was looking for. What was different about them? I thought they were all happy, because they all laughed, and um, they all seemed to have jobs or 
ones that wanted to work was working. Uh, they seemed to all be happily married, and so I was pointing out all the differences about them. And for the fact that I was lived in the southern end of the county and all of them lived in the northern end of the county, that was a difference, and I didn't really want to fit in at all. I just didn't, I didn't think I fit in. But I kept going back, and I, I went there, and I went to a couple other meetings, and, and there was no meetings in the little town that I lived in, but there was, the, like I said, the closest meeting with... There was one 18 miles away on Thursday night, and the rest were around 30, 25 to 30 miles. So, And there, you couldn't go to 90 meetings in 90 days. There wasn't 90 meetings anywhere in the western upper peninsula of Michigan. And so I, uh, so I went to just about one every day that there was a meeting. And um, I started to hang out with guys that was like me, you know, single, uh, wanting to go to the bars after the meeting. Um, maybe dating somebody that they shouldn't have been dating because I was dating who I shouldn't have been dating and just people that were kind of irresponsible people and that's ones I was drawn to and uh, <clears throat> it, was not it was not uncommon for us to go to an AA meeting and then afterwards go to a strip club 60 miles away and sit in there and, and drink uh, eventually I started drinking well back then they were called NAs or non-alcoholic non-alcoholic beer that was kind of a big thing then and I would drink one in uh, in the rent or in the bar but I always put it in a glass I never let the bottle so nobody could see the bottle and so I was always making sure and it, it looks like real beer and you go to the bathroom as many times after a few of them as you would with real beer and um, so there was a couple of the old timers there that told me that if I kept doing what I was going doing that I was going to get drunk, and they used to use that saying about the barber chair. If you sit in the barber chair long enough, eventually you're going to get a haircut. I didn't really understand what that meant. I... <laughs> and they also said that there's a slip under every skirt, and that's how long ago, and the people who were telling me that, you know. And, uh, and I didn't believe them about that, too. But the one I really listened to was, you will be drunk within two years if you keep doing what you're doing. And... I set out to prove that to them that I would not drink within two years. And I almost made it about 22 months and, I don't know, so many days. And during that period, I, I did crazy stuff. I, I, I loved the fellowship. I loved the fun of it. I went to town and had coffee afterwards with the guys. But people didn't work steps at the meeting. We, uh, we read. It, it was hard to see a big book on the table see a big book on the table. I did go to a meeting that was a 12 and 12, and there'd be 12 and 12s, but, and I actually thought through that whole period that the big book started with how it works in chapter 5. I didn't even know there was chapters before that. Didn't get a sponsor. I got a guy that, they said, well, find somebody that you related to, so I found a guy related to, and, and hung out with him, and we didn't talk about steps, or I told him my problems and how terrible my life was and all that kind of crap. And, and uh, So anyhow, fast things forward, I, I, like I said, I got drunk. Uh, I was, uh, there's an there's a infamous speaker <laughs> that talks about uh, she looks so fine, I mean, out of, in detox, and uh, words every sponsor loves to hear from their new sponsee, but she looks so good in detox. And, well, I had one of them. And the only thing that I said about that deal was that uh, she got drunk way before I did. She got drunk about a year and a half before I did. And, uh, and I always felt that I interfered with her sobriety, but I don't know. You know, uh, I had made a mess back then. But anyhow, eventually, uh, so, so anyhow, that was the one I was trying to make it 
without for two years, you know, make it two years and not drink. But anyhow, uh, I ended up drinking again for about three months, and and everything that I said that was made everybody different than me, I did. Yeah, you, know, you know, I just did crazy, crazy stuff, stuff I never would have thought of doing, and uh, and I ended up. Uh, I wouldn't say so much physically, but I was definitely emotionally and spiritually broke at the end of that period on May 29th of 1989. I ended up in another uh, friend's house, and sitting in this chair, looking out the window, kind of rocking, going, wow, this is nuts, you know, and didn't know anything about what to do. But I knew one thing, alcohol, drinking alcohol did not work anymore. I knew that for sure. So I came back to AA, and I thought, okay, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be an answer there. And so I kept going to meetings and listening to meetings, and, and people were telling me that, oh, you got to go back to treatment. You know, I, I was honest with them, told them I drank. I wouldn't tell them at work, but I said, I can't go back to treatment because I'll go back to treatment. Everybody at work thinks I've been sober, that I'll get in trouble there, and I, I, I don't want that. And the family thought that, and, and I didn't want that embarrassment to my fragile ego at that time. And so I, uh, <clears throat> so, so I hung around for about a year, and uh, and hung out with some guys and listened to some guys, and and uh, and I started going to a Wednesday night meeting, and uh, there was an old timer there I kind of liked. He, he he didn't talk about working the steps too much, and I, I kind of liked that. But he he was sober many years. He actually knew Bill W really well, and uh, I thought, oh, you're gonna hang. Maybe something happening. Sit next to him and it'll rub off or whatever, and. And, but I got crazier and crazier, you know. There's nothing worse than, a, than an alcoholic, you know, not drinking and not having a solution to their living problem. I mean, my life was just getting crazier and crazier all the time. And uh, so, I, uh, so I ended up putting a shotgun in my mouth at home one night, you know, and said, this is, I can't do this no more. And I mean, I, and you know what people were saying, you know, if you, if you don't drink, you're going to die. <laughs> And if you don't die, you'll you'll gotten AA. You'll understood the program, and and I was living proof. I, um, you know, I, by the grace of God, you know, I I pulled the pulled the shotgun out of my mouth and sat it down, and I said to myself and to God that 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 uh, it's okay. I'm, it's okay. I'm I'm an alcoholic. And that's what I am. And and there are people that are alcoholics. I need to find the ones who's got a solution. And I knew it was more than just attending meetings. There was more to that. I, I, for three years, I hung around meetings. And so I, uh, I was at a meeting, and a guy, there was an argument at, my, at what at that time was my home group. And there was an argument uh, amongst the guys that were all graduates of, uh, of an infamous uh, uh, treatment center in the Midwest. And they were telling me, you got to do a fourth and fifth. You got to do a fourth and fifth. You got to go back to treatment and do that. And then there was this gnarly old, probably kind of what I look like now, but anyhow, smoked a cigar, chewing, sitting at the end of the table, and he just got thoroughly peeled. <laughs> he started to scream at them people and, and, no, you don't have to go back to treatment. He slammed his fist down on the table, and thus I met Missouri Mike. And Missouri Mike was a fisherman that came up and lived up there for Six weeks, six months out of the year, and fished on uh, Lake Superior, and he went to meetings, and he was just a big book thumper all the way, and he took me down to the uh, after the meeting. He says, "Come with me," 
you know, and I, I didn't want nothing to do with that treatment center stuff. I, I really didn't. I, anyone, I, those people were okay, but there was just something weird. This guy, though, there was an attraction to him. And so we went down to the coffee shop in town, and we sat down at the middle table, and, and I, oh, my God, now everybody's going to know. Oh, you know, because everybody hears everything, what everybody's saying in a coffee shop, you know. And um, there's always the round table people over there that, you know, they talk about all and solve all the business in the community. And, and then, and then, and then, you know, and I thought, oh, God, why am I sitting here with him? But something kept me sitting there. I, I was looking. And, and he went to me. He went, he got his big book out. And I thought, oh, this is it now. Oh, my God, he's got that out in front of everybody. And I just figured everybody had to know what's going on. Nobody had the slightest clue, I found out later on. But anyhow, um, he read to me, he said, you know, he said, he read to me on a doctor's opinion. He said, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of, alco of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomena of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. I said, Okay, what does that mean? And he says, did you ever go out and try to drink just one? Just one. Just drink one drink. And, and you know, I got that grin on my face right away. And he says, no, I mean, did you ever take a drink and want to take another one right away? And he says, no, 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 none of this stuff you waited a day or a week or whatever, you know. And I, I said, I said, Yes, I've always wanted to take another drink after taking the one drink, always. And I always planned or schemed when I was going to take the next one. And it's, okay. He says, so, so when you take that drink, that kicks in that phenomena craving. He says, that's what they're talking about. And you got it. And I said, oh, okay. So he says, that's what the rest of this book is about, is finding a solution. I said, really? Nobody ever told me that stuff before. <laughs> and then he went to the beginning of the book, and he said, this is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. That's what this is. He said, recovered from alcoholism. He says, you don't ever re get over being an alcoholic, but you definitely are recovered from that hopeless state of mind and body. And he went on to point out other things about me. And, or it was really about himself, but I was taking it with me, <laughs> about how I was a hope, in a hopeless state of mind and body. So anyhow, he started me out on it. And uh, he started me out on a book. He introduced me to another guy who became my first sponsor. And he was the guy I always ignored at the meetings. I wanted nothing to do with that man. <laughs> he scared the ever-living crap out of me. He had a silver streak in his head and on his hair. And he always shook my hand at the beginning of every meeting and smiled with his eyes. I could not figure that out. I just, oh, how could he do that, you know? And he just bugged me. And so I got directed to him. And we started to talk. And we started to go through the book. And we started to do some praying on the phone, which I thought, oh, my God, prayer on the phone. Well, anyhow, so kind of keep fast-forwarding through some stuff. And I ended up doing my fourth step out of the big book. Uh, I used some guides from some speaker tapes. I used to use tapes or, you know. And um, I followed, uh, followed their guides, and that's what he suggested for me to do. And, uh, and I did my fifth step with someone far, far away because I had some stuff that I couldn't let anybody else know about, you know. So I did my fifth step, and I found out that things were just a little bit better. They were just a tad better after that. 
things started to happen in my life. And, and about that time, I changed sponsor. Actually, my first sponsor fired himself because <laughs> he quit AA for a while. Uh, there was a problem with uh, who his higher power was. And I got introduced to another guy who became my sponsor. And he used to read to me always out of, whenever I had a problem, he used to go to page 42 and said, bottom page 42, quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. And he'd tell me that after every problem I'd call him up and say I had. He'd say, go to bottom page 42. I'd say, oh, jeez, yeah, and I okay, so I look for the spiritual solution. So another thing I found when working with him, not the other two guys, but with him, was I was always, we were always talking about this power, you know, and, and I was always looking for it. Where was it? You know, living the speakers and all that other stuff, and all of a sudden, chapter four stuck out to me. <coughs> Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, I had already decided that God was this higher power. It was G-O-D, God. I know that it's supposed to be of our understanding, but that's not my story. Uh, it was God. And uh, so anyhow, the next sentence says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Oh my God, why didn't anybody tell me that? That's what this book is about. And, and then keep going on some things. And another one I found was at the end of uh, chapter or at the beginning of chapter five in how it works, really key. I mean, you know, we kind of blow it off, and some people don't even call them the ABCs. And my sponsor, my new sponsor, said, "You know, get to God and all the ABCs." Okay, what's ABCs? Oh, go to page sixty. You'll find out. And A is that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Okay, I proved that for enough years. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Well, I couldn't. I went to a priest. I went to counselors. I was married for a while. I went to my boss. Those are all human powers. Didn't work. Didn't work. Went to treatment. That didn't work. That was a human power. And it's okay. You've tried the human powers. So that God could and would if he was saw was C. Oh, okay. Cool. That was C. So that's what that means. So... And then on, he even gave me an assignment back in here and said, read pages 60 to 63 at the end of 30 days and your life will be was different. Really? Okay, so I started reading every night, pages 60 to 63. And after about 28 days, I started to, hmm, started to realize that selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of all our troubles. So that was my problem, was. And I was driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. So all of a sudden, they're lined out. What is my problem? I'm selfish, no doubt about it. I'm self-centered, no doubt about that. And I definitely have fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. So going on, the other big thing that I found out back then was that Liquor was but a symptom. And we always talk about liquor. Everybody thinks liquor is the problem. Liquor is not the problem, it says right here. Our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. And that was how I got led into the fourth step, was defining the causes and conditions that kept me away from 
kept me separated from my higher power, which was the sunlight of the spirit, which was God. And I thought, whoa, cool. So my next fourth and fifth step, I did that way. And I also rode in around in a car for about three hours, giving my fifth step to another person, a person that I seen on a regular basis. And as a result of that, um, uh, I cleaned up a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And one of the things that was really important was that uh, in chapter 7, the beginning, was that practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Well, I tried other activities. Even while in the program, I tried other activities. If I didn't want to work with drunks, I tried working <laughs> with other doing other things. I tried to be a baseball coach. I tried to be a scout leader. I tried to be in the, well, I was in the fire department, but I mean, I did all kinds of things in the community. I, I, I was a big brother, elderly, I guess it was called something like that, and made dinners and, you know, did all kinds of stuff. But I never got the same feeling of that immunity from drinking as when I did with another alcoholic. And I've sponsored other guys. Uh, I, I've, uh, I've lost some guys that I've sponsored due to death, due to suicide. And I'll tell you, I mean, uh, that, that one individual, uh, I call him Crazy Mike affectionately, um, he, um, he, couldn't, he could not do the fourth step. He could not accept a God. He could not. Uh, did a beautiful third step. But he never did the next step. And that was cleaning up the garbage. And, uh, and I told him I thanked him the last time I talked to him because he was threatening suicide. He was clicking the gun in the barrel on, on the phone, on that old phone with the heaviness. And he's clicking the cylinder and putting the shells in, you know, and he popped it around off. And he says, okay, I feel better now. I was at 2.30 in the morning, and I sat straight up in bed and didn't get no more sleep the rest of the night. But... I thanked him a while later. He, he designed exactly how he was going to hang himself, and, and he ended up doing that. But I thanked him for helping me stay sober. I said, I, I wish it would work for you, but, you know, you have been a life savior for me. And, and any time I even get close, you know, even thought, which doesn't happen very often, is crazy Mike pops into my mind right away. I mean, I know what alcohol did to him, and... I'm going to go find another alcoholic and work with him right away. So <clears throat> so anyhow, life was really good. And, you know, it was getting better. Um, after about five years, I'll try doing this really quick. <laughs> I'll save some time for you, dear. Um, after about five years, I could tell people around the meeting what their story was going to be before they started. You know, if it was step four, I knew Stu was going to talk about this. If it was step five, I knew that, you know, Joe was going to say this. And it was like, it's got to be more, you know, got to be more. And so I started traveling and I started getting out meeting people. And I uh, got involved in a conference and I met some people. And next thing you know, I became an alternate DCM. We had no service work in our, in our meetings where I lived in the town. District was inactive. And, uh, and I got it, and I just got active in it. And uh, next thing you know, I found out what alternates usually happen to alternates. They become the real thing when the real guy leaves. <laughs> and I was an alternate DCM for like two months and never went to a district meeting because we never had one. And then DCM calls me up and says, you're now it, Bob. I moved away. 
time at what? <laughs> so, so I started to read the service manual, learn about the service manual, and I, and I became the DCM, and I served in that role for for three years, and then I rotated, and I uh, I got active at the area level, and I served at the area level in various positions, and um, after two term two two or two years two years at the area level, I. Ended up being an election to be elected alternate delegate and area chair for the area. And they, uh, somehow or another, my name came out of the hat. And uh, I don't even know how my name got in the hat, but it got <laughs> in the hat. And, uh, you know, because I didn't know anybody and nobody really knew me. I was from a small community, pretty isolated. And, uh, and anyhow, I became alternate delegate. I served in that position for two years, and then I became delegate for Area 74 in northern Wisconsin and... Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and served in that position for two years and um, attended the General Service Conference in, in New York. And I, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, serving on the literature committee, the conference literature committee that approved the fourth, fourth edition of the Big Book in 2001. And I, uh, uh, so it was kind of a neat, neat experience, something that was kind of outside of my realm of anything that I ever thought I would do. But I felt all of that I was taught early on because the guy that was my sponsor at that time was, was, uh, was very involved in service. And he said, take that service work the same way you do with your uh, you know, work in the steps and all that. So, so anyhow, I, I did that. I served in that position, came back and Served in the area in another position and got elected at the region, the East Central region, to be the treasurer. And uh, after four years, I ended up being the, uh, a trustee for the General Service Board. I was East Central Regional Trustee uh, from 2005 to 2009. And I served on the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous for four years. And that was a, an experience that was pretty interesting. Um, I, um, I, while I was there, I served for two years as a grapevine board director and uh, learned a lot of things about the grapevine and about the corporate structure and the board. Spent a lot of time at the bottom of the service triangle, messing around with the general service board and, and the committees and the general service office, and, uh, and all the time working a full-time job. And uh, In 2009, I, uh, I was rotating out. I was single. And... Didn't have much luck at dating. Most people did not care for someone who was going to meetings all the time and was running around the conferences. And, and all of a sudden, I met my lovely wife at an assembly. And, and uh, we kind of hit it off, and, and uh, we've been together ever since. Got married in 2015. 16. 16. 15. Yeah. Anyhow, she'll tell it. She'll get it right. She'll get it right. But... Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, so, so what I've tried to done, do to stay sober is, is I kind of live what Dr. Bob says, you know, about why you do things. And it was, it was really, really important that uh, I do it for four reasons, he says at the end of the story. Sense of duty, it is a pleasure. Because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And, you know, I have never, ever thought that uh, serving Alcoholics Anonymous in any way that I'm asked has always been my duty. 
the guys that taught me this program, that taught me how to live uh, the A program, said that it's your service, service. It's service and recovery, and mix the two together, and your life will go well. My private life went shot off like a rocket, I guess, <laughs> at the same time as I was being involved in service. So the more I put time into AA service, the more my personal life started to grow. And I did things I never, ever thought I would do. And, uh, I mean, this was a guy who was a drunk, who was a timber cruiser, who used to pass out for the afternoon under a tree because he couldn't walk anymore from being hung over for so long and waiting for the next drink when he got off of work. And, uh, and I ended up, you know, retiring from the Forest Service uh, after 34 years and doing something that I never, ever thought that I would do. And so in every aspect of my life, uh, my, my life, my living, everything is due to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and you folks showing me a way of living. So I really thank all of you for doing that for me and helping me understand um, because no one else was able to help me, but you guys could and show me a way to my higher power, who is God. And with that... Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Two for tonight, huh? Yeah. <laughs>